1: Hi everyone, it's David here with a word from our sponsors HyperX. HyperX are makers of premium gaming peripherals and they're offering UK based customers 20% of their entire full price gaming headset range throughout May. TNCs apply. Head on over to uk.hyperx, that's H-Y-P-E-R-X.com to read the TNCs and use the discount code Rangers once at the checkout. These are superb. I've been using the headset now for a couple of weeks and it is absolutely fantastic. The mic is brilliant, the immersion is fantastic, and also the noise cancellation is superb. So if you want to get into your own world when you're gaming, or even just when you're doing calls, we all have, we live in a Zoom world these days, then this is very much for you. So go to HyperX. Um, for it it's uk.hyperx.com discount code rangers once at the checkout and you will save 20% and trust me you will thank me when it happens Um, in terms of the terms and conditions uh, offer is subject to availability no minimum spend required during may 2021 the code can only be used once can't be used in conjunction with any other hyperx offer and is not transferable offer is subject to change or withdrawal without notice free standard delivery to uk addresses for orders of 79 pounds or more if you return any headsets purchased with the code you will receive a refund of the discounted price you paid for the returned headsets. Hello everyone, it's David here and welcome to a brand new show here on the Heart and Hand Network, a show that I've been very much looking forward to doing, oh, for about three years. It's Stephen Gerrard, Evolution of a Revolution. What we're going to be doing over the next six weeks is looking at Stephen Gerrard's time at Rangers in depth with a specific focus on him, the manager who arrived the manager who we have in 2021 and the changes that have happened over the last few years which have taken us from a very bad place a ship that was going nowhere fast and turned us into invincible champions and joining me for this discussion i'm delighted to say from the wonderful four lads had a dream website it's stevie clifford good afternoon good evening good morning depending when people are listening stevie i'm delighted to have you here to do this show
0: Hi David. Yeah, delighted to be here as well. It's great to be able to talk about this from such a a great position, you know, as champions and look back through all his time here and really enjoy it and be able to relax and have some fun with it as well.
1: Yeah, just to let people know what the structure of the show is gonna be. This is specifically looking at the manager and his development. And by that what we mean is Things like his tactics, things like his transfer dealings, things like his dealings with the players, things like the media. All of that will be looked at and we'll go through it season by season. Um, we'll go through it in terms of our overall impressions and then we'll end up the series a six-parter with a and a But today we're going to talk about the man who arrived, our expectations and really where we were and set the stall. Stevie, you expect people to grow in a job. But in our case, it was something that we were almost counting on because, with no disrespect meant to the Stephen Gerrard who pitched up at Rangers in 2018, he had qualities. That's why he had the job, and we understood that. He was very impressive. We got that. He had this legendary playing career, and he had this status in the world game. But, cold truth was, he had no top-level coaching experience. He had been a coach a couple of years at Liverpool. And it is a different challenge being a manager to being a player, no matter how many dressing successful dressing rooms you'd been in. And although he'd been at one club, he'd been, you know, various Liverpool iterations. He'd been in a lot of successful dressing rooms. He's led a lot of successful dressing rooms. He had international experience. But it's, it's a big challenge. And to start off at a club like Rangers takes that challenge and, and just Puts it into the stratosphere, really.
0: Well, it certainly does. And not only to to start at a club like Rangers, it's to start at a club like Rangers in the situation we are in at the time we arrived. If we journey back to him arriving, he's arriving basically at a time where, as a squad, we are very, very weak. We're conceding goals like it's going out of fashion. We've... Basically, came off the back of a season where we've conceded four or five to our nearest rivals. We've drawn then our last game of the season, five-five at Easter Road. You know, so it's not like he's going into a unit that that he that he can basically take a lot from either. He, he's he's got a couple that he can work with, but overall, the squad really does need a big overhaul. On top of the fact that this is his first big challenge. But I've got to say, David, I never thought that, you know, on his arrival, it never worried me, his lack of experience. And as f- soon as his first press conference came and he uttered the magic words, let's go, I think he had everybody on hooks then.
1: Yeah, he most certainly did. But let's go back then to, to season 2017, 2018. It, it seems a little a bit of an oversight to, to take a random point, in or a specific point rather, in the few seasons before that because it had been such a mess and obviously it all feeds back to 2011 white takeover etc uh walter stepping down and and everything sort of spirals downwards from there but we had got back into the premier league uh, which was a staging point, but no, no more than that. You know, nobody was was fooled that that was the journey complete. And I think very quickly we realise in Warburton's first season, uh, first season, just how far off the pace we are. It's a good Celtic team, we can't deny that. Brendan Rodgers' first season, and Rangers are very much off the pace under Warburton. He leaves, of course, in the February of that season, and I don't think a lot of tears. Stephen when he left because I think there was this feeling which persists. Uh, I think we've we've all probably kept one eye on the career of Mark Warburton since and it's the same thing. He has some real coaching ability and it would be unfair to say that he doesn't but he has flaws defensively in particular that he never ever seems to rectify, not only that, that he never even seems to attempt to rectify, it's been the same, he went to Nottingham Forest, didn't last there, he's at QPR, um, where he has done reasonably well, but again you speak, you look at their fans' forums and it's, we had all the ball and lost 1-0 to set-piece, you know it, it, it's common things that we and Forest fans can identify when he left, did you think it was his time, or were you disappointed?
0: No, I wasn't disappointed, I think to be honest I would have been thinking that it was his time. I remember, David, he left shortly after a real thrashing at Tyne Castle, if memory serves me correct. I think we got beat yes. 4, four one possibly.
1: Yes.
0: And it was the same stuff. Goals at back post, goals at set pieces. And I think a lot of us by that point were getting a bit fed up of it. Looking back overall on, on Warburton's kind of spell with us, I think, you know, the first... Six, seven, eight months, we had a really good time in terms of performances were good. The feel-good factor was back. Ibrox was full again, you know, good people in charge of the club. Everything felt like it was going in the direction it should. And then it started to unravel slightly in terms of goals we were losing. I remember we lost to, I think we lost to Falkirk and we were 2-0 up and, and got beat 3-2. Yeah. and And people started to to point out flaws there that that never got rectified and by the time that we actually went up we had had the scottish cup final as well which we had blown with with 10 minutes left you know that was i think a typical warburton thing whereas you know 2-1 up with 10 minutes left dead on our feet we're still trying to attack and there there didn't seem to be any any kind of change of philosophy or anything it was it was one way and I think that people, when he didn't adapt, I think that people very quickly began to get murmurs and, and discontent from that. So when it came to him actually leaving, I don't remember there being a, a great sense of loss or a, a sense of disappointment surrounding it, certainly not. Myself, personally, I would, have liked to have, I would have liked to have seen him adapt because he was a likeable guy, David. I liked him. Yeah. I thought he spoke well. I thought he carried himself well. And even now... I don't have anything kind of bad to say about Mark Warburton, other than you know on the pitch it didn't go the way we wanted it to go. But at the time he left, it was definitely, it was definitely a, a kind of a mutual parting. I think that's yeah. fair to say from from everybody. But what happened next was was certainly not what we had planned.
1: No, um, on Warburton the the Hearts game you mentioned the reason I, I felt it was such a perfect booking was that we'd been to Tynecastle earlier that season lost 2-0 and he'd said afterwards as he tended to do, we'll learn from it we'll go again, well then we go back to Tynecastle later in the season uh, and if anything we're worse but it's as you said the same mistakes and I thought if you wanted a perfect illustration of why this isn't going to work it's that because there you go, you know, you, you tell us that you know what's wrong and you'll fix it, here's the same team, the same circumstance, and the problems are worse. They're not getting better. So, yeah, I was I was ready for him to go. Graham Mertie stepped in uh, in temporary charge and did okay, uh, and he's he spelled more than him later. But after that came how 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 to put this came an appointment that I genuinely think in years to come, when the younger generation who are just reading up on this uh sit down and they'll say to us so what was all this about and i'm not sure we'll have an answer uh i i'm a bit of a football geek Uh, i know a lot of the listeners are football geeks and generally speaking i might not know a lot about uh, a football figure but even if it's just from champ manager or football manager as it is now, even if it's just from reading World Soccer or whatever, I've generally heard of people, Stevie. I've, you know, I might not know them inside out, but generally speaking, I know the name at least and a little bit of background and maybe the clubs that have been out. I had no idea who Pedro Cuchinho was when he was mentioned for the job at first. Uh, I was told by someone uh, who must have had some inside knowledge Get get some money on this guy, and I think he was sixteen to one at the time, and that was because he'd come in quite quite dramatically that day. And I'm, really, Pedro Who is he? And I had to Google him, and I'm not sure for Rangers that's ever really a good thing. But Pedro Kashinia arrived, impressive looking fellow, no no doubt about it. Spoke very well, uh, spoke a lot about his tactical ideas and. I wasn't particularly blown away by it and I don't know anyone who was and I don't think he ever achieved that sense of anticipation or excitement with the fans. Now, the gamble, Stevie, of bringing someone in late in a season, I I personally wouldn't do it because what happens is what happened here, which is that in theory we all say it's not his fault, it's not his team, he's just in to have a look around and get himself settled and be good to go for next season. But, when you get cuffed 5-1 at home by, by Celtic, then some of that mud does stick on the new guy, no matter what anyone says. And what it means is, if they get off to a bad start the following season, which he did disastrously in Luxembourg, then fans who never really wanted him anyway, so there's no attachment there, and then won't have any evidence to suggest he's the right guy, want him out the door and although it would take another few months, from that day in Luxembourg I thought, he's dead man walking.
0: I actually thought it was a lot sooner than that. I've never heard a reaction at ibrooks for his first game of what he did at half time and if we journey back to that when we were 1-0 down against Motherwell <laughs> and he and he subbed off half the defence. He left Jan Toro, if you remember him, he was at centre back. Um, I think Halloran
1: was at full back. I think
0: Halloran at right back. Um, Lee Wallace was at centre back. I think next to Toro, and then Halliday at the other side. And we just it was. uh, I mean, we did manage actually to draw that game. Pretty sure that um, Joey Garner equalised, but at that point, I remember people turning to me and saying, "This guy might actually be mental," and you know. And his philosophies and things that he was doing, and I don't think he ever recovered from that, David, because there was no trust. There was a there was yes. a sense that there was a sense of what are we getting here? And even when we did kind of scrape by in terms of results, and then his, his comments. I remember the day we won two one at, at Fur Hill and you know we get treated like the the last minute winners and stuff like that. That was more relief than. We were actually buying into it. There was a good result up at Potaudry. We won 3-0. I think we scored three in the last 10 minutes. If you remember, Joe Dodu got the the third, Kenny Miller got a couple. And that was the first time I actually watched it and thought, right, tactically that was pretty decent. And maybe settling in, that's fine. And very quickly, we were thrashed 5-1. But I, will, I remember having um, a conversation with, with a well-known follow-follow poster, Sir Duncan Ferguson, actually, in that summer. We had a bounce game at home to St Johnston up at the, the training ground and we got beat 1-0. And that was the first time people started to talk about Callum Henry, um, Colin Henry's son. He scored the goal that day and we were just a mess. We didn't look very good. We were all over the place in terms of um, our organisation and things like that. And I said we either wait three months and sack this guy, or we cut our losses and sack him now. There was never any time where I fully believed that he was going to turn it round. And as soon as that happened, as you said, out in Luxembourg, I think for everyone, David, that that was it. It was only a matter of of time. There was never any shoots of recovery. There was never any. There was never anything to believe in, you know. And and the more he spoke, and the and the more that he kind of lined us up and organised us and everything else it just it just wasn't happening thankfully though I will say that the board didn't prolong it you know longer than it needed to be October 26th it happened and I remember because it was my birthday the, the day after and um, he was out the door so I'm thankful that they immediately corrected the, the mistake but um not a good appointment, David. You know, I'm all for left field and things like that, but to me, he was a salesman who spoke a good game, but there was nothing to back it up.
1: Yeah, I, I, I've mentioned this before, but we had uh, Clint Hill. Uh, on for an interview and and what Clint Hill said is he would show us his ideas of how he wanted us to play but it wasn't realistic for Rangers to play that way because he was showing us clips from his sides in Qatar and he said well it's 50 degree heat in Qatar so obviously there's a physical impediment to 100 mile an hour football and he said we're all looking at each other saying we don't get this time on the ball because we're Rangers you know as soon as one of us gets the ball there's three or four guys zooming in to kick us um, and I think that, a bit like Paul Le Guin, he just didn't get it at all. And the idea that you can come in and graft your football and not be aware of the, the unique challenges of Scottish football, I just don't think... I think anyone coming in with that idea will come a cropper. I mean, yeah, you can get your blend, your blend of football in, but blend is a word. You've got to be aware of the circumstances, and I don't think he ever was. Uh, so he goes, uh, and then Graham Martin comes in for another caretaker spell. Rangers have uh, what would turn out to be a, a, a pretty strange six weeks. Number of people linked. Alex McLeish was strongly linked for a comeback. You remember during this period, but yeah. Eventually,
0: yeah, sorry, I was going to mention on the Alex McLeish thing. Actually, if you remember, the bookmakers stopped taking bets. He was you know I think there was a day where more or less we had that news that he was coming mm. so obviously we know that bookmakers don't don't really cap. Yeah, uh, so. yep. You know, what am I trying to say? That, that, you know, they can. It's a a small
1: market, yeah, and it, because any sort of amount. But no, I mean, he was, he was seriously quoted. It wasn't, it wasn't just idle speculation. Um, and Derek McInnes seemed to be sort of hovering in the background. And eventually, after six weeks, the board decide they will go for Derek McInnes, um, which did lead to suspicions at best that he, he was the. The backup option. that If they had a look around, couldn't find anybody better, then they would go for him. And humiliatingly, there's no point denying it. um, At the last minute, he (laughs) backs out. Rangers are left looking rather stupid. And he stays with Aberdeen. And it just felt like that weekend, they they said that Graham Murray would then have it to the end of the season. We went to Kilmarnock, uh, took the lead through Declan John, ended up losing 2-1. To a Chris Boyle goal and you just thought, when is this going to end? I mean, we are reeling from one disaster to another. Marty starts well; it has a is it, trusted with a few signings in January, and they they all seem initially to to start off quite well. You remember Sean Goss was one, Russell Martin, who on paper seemed a, a sensible one. Greg Doherty arrived, arrived, uh, Sean Goss, and there's actually a wee upturn in form. I think it's, you know, it has to be, that does have to be remembered. There is a little upturn in form at this point, And things seem to be to be moving in the right direction. And Murti kind of does look like he knows what he's doing. But then, my goodness, when the wheels came off, they went shooting off. Rangers lose 3-2 at home to Celtic uh, in a match that pretty much ensures that Celtic will go on and win the title. Um, it's two each when Celtic are... Uh, Rangers take the league twice, it's two each and playing really well to be fair but then defensive errors uh, off goes uh, Celtic have Semenovic uh, of sent off, they're down to 10 men Brendan Rodgers makes a couple of tactical changes, Celtic end up running uh, running out with the 3.32 and from that, Stevie, the collapse was swift and it did not let up, so much so after the the twin humiliations against Celtic at Hampden and at Parkhead. Rangers lose four um, 0 and five one, and it could have been, it could have been more on both games. It could have been double figures in the 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 one that Celtic scored five, and I'm not exaggerating that. Rangers were appalling, absolutely. Celtic are running about laughing and high fiving each other at how easy it is. He doesn't even see out the season. The caretaker has to be removed. um, I think for his own good, more than anything else, as he appeared to be falling apart in front of our eyes. uh, And Jimmy Nicol and Jonathan Johansson take the team for the last couple of matches of the season. The announcement, when it comes, we'll get to in a minute. But that was as appalling a spell as any throughout the journey. Important to mention as well, because that's the dates that we were actually
0: at it's not inconceivable that celtic game we were talking about the 5-0 game i was at that game and it was 5-0 after 50 minutes david mm-hmm. it was 5-0 thinking oh my goodness this this could actually be ten and if you remember jack Al- alnick was in goals that day and he actually performed really well he kept it kept it at five and it's sh- you know a shudder to say that
1: Oh, but, could have if they'd really, really pushed that yeah, day, they could absolutely. have got t- they were having enough fun taking the piss out of us. But had they just d- decided the last half hour to really go for it, then it could have been a record score. And we couldn't have complained. That's the worst part. We could not have complained. And if you look at what,
0: you know what a manager there was coming into, you're working with, with guys that, that are never Ranger's quality, but he's going to have to somehow you know, take a dozen of them and, and try and build them back up again and, and put blocks around them. So whoever was coming in at that point had a job. But the the thing was that at, at that point where Graham Motty was in and we, we had, you know, the embarrassment of, of the after press conferences and stuff, the news began to circulate around Stephen Gerrard potentially coming in. So that somewhat overshadowed what was going on on the pitch because everybody was just like, right, this is an absolute mess, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. And I think as soon as everybody heard, you know, Stephen Gerrard, I certainly remember talking to the boys about it on that day that we we, we took that that hiding, that, that he's coming and we were pretty sure he was coming in. So everybody was was at least hopeful of that. And, The thing about Steven Gerrard is I know that he he didn't have that experience, it just didn't matter we needed something at that point David we needed hope and he was that
1: Yeah I mean this is, as we're telling the story of of his appointment it kind of feels like recalling the first date you had with your your partner doesn't it it's kind of such a happy ending but We were low. Um, There was, of course, the the Lee Wallace and Kenny Miller situation, which played out in the papers. There was, you know, Graham Mutti, as Stevie alluded to there, was was broken. I mean, there's really no other word for it. He was a mess. He looked a mess. You could tell this was a guy who was struggling very, very much. Um, I thought he looked ill. Uh, and I did. I, I feared for his for his mental health at that point, and that was one of the reasons why, in terms of removing him, I thought you you, you have to do that for his own good. He, he can't be allowed to to wither on that vine. Um, and having to sack your caretaker manager is never uh, a great look. Or remove him at least. And then it was in a newspaper: Rangers are interested in Steven Gerrard. And I'll be honest: at first, Stevie, I thought bollocks. You know, just another one of these clickbait, big name link them to the job story. uh, Nothing in it, because at this point it seems we've been looking for a manager for the best part of two years, really, doesn't it? Uh, it just the stories had been so often, and and so many names had been had been floated that it was. You were just used to it, I think. At that point, you were just used to. People being being quoted for the job, um, but then I remember hearing from someone who uh, you w- would know these things, and he said to me, um, "Yeah, Gerard is a possibility with Gary McAllister." And I said, oh, "Okay, um, that's that's interesting. Is it realistic?" And he said, "Oh, yeah, actually, real- he's interested." And I said, "Right, okay." Um, and a few days passed, and then I remember very. Uh, people will like this story but it is true I phoned a guy I knew at the Daily Record and I said have you heard this Gerard McAllister thing he says hold on and I'll ask well I think you can imagine the journalist that he asked and he came back with a one word answer to me and he said shite I said right okay Just, just you know just what I'd been told and he went, Well, I'm gonna check it out. He said, because don't take you know, don't don't let your head swell, but you've you have you have generally got better sources at Rangers than we have. So which even then was true. Um and then Gerard goes on BT Sport, Champions League coverage. He's asked about it, and he says, Yes, there are discussions that there's an interest there in the job, and we'll see what happens. And then I don't know about you, I at first when I heard that Stephen went nah, it's you know, really, a youth coach, nah, big name, great but it's not going to happen but then once it became clear it was serious, I don't know why, I just really wanted it and I I just had such a good feeling about him and I remember right up until his announcement worrying that he it was going to fall through basically and again this was entirely just feeling, it wasn't based on anything, you know, yeah he was a wonderful player, yes he's very glamorous, yes he's a big name but not as a manager, as a player. But there was a feeling, it just it felt right. Yeah, I
0: mean I was very much like you. As soon as as soon as it was mentioned, you know, you kinda of dismiss it and you think, well, as as you alluded to, we've been here now for what, the best part of two years looking for this, so it it comes and goes. But like you, I mean, that was it that was at the start of Four Lads of the Dream. So information as you know at that time wasn't like it is now it's not as professional and and you know there you could find out things mm. somebody actually messaged the blog and it was a very random thing and they said believe it or not people will laugh at this it's it's one of these ones we laugh about on follow follow and things he says I'm best friends with <laughs> Mick Beale and um, he's packed up and they're on their way up Gerard's 100% taking over at Rangers and I at first thing, I was like, who is Mick Beale? You know, and it was the ignorance of it all. Went and looked it up and things and then obviously spoke to to Chris and, and people that I knew in the media at that point. And it, it then grew arms and legs. And I don't know if you remember, just before um Stephen went on the, the Champions League show during the week, Mark Guidi had put it out on the on the Sunday night that he was coming and then there was there was confusion that that he might have been coming as assistant manager and then obviously it it kind of formed up and he he spoke about it but it's like you as soon as as soon as it became a possibility i wanted it to happen and he just it, it was it was that thing that i needed to believe in david i needed something at that point the way things were going on the pitch, we we needed a figurehead, we needed something that we could galvanise behind and it was Steven Gerrard. I mean, the guy is just, at that point, a, a worldwide football figure, had done some amazing things on the pitch, had, had basically won a Champions League on his own and, you know, we were getting him we didn't know the levels. I mean, I didn't sit and think, well, we might get J- Jermaine Defoe and things off the back of that. I wasn't thinking about that. I was just thinking he's going to take us back to some sort of level of normality of where we should be heading to. And, and you know, he did, obviously. But he was. and That's all I talk about at that time. And we talk about when it was announced and things. He was that hope that everybody needed.
1: Yeah, and Stephen alluded to it early on, the press conference, the now legendary press conference where he lets go and that was adopted by Rangers fans just off the cuff. Uh, he's been asked about it since and he said it was just the words that came out that day. wasn't any great plan behind it but you know, if you watch it back now he, he's nervous. You can see that as we, now that we know him better. Um, you can see that he's nervous but he goes out and there's 8,000 bears there and he, he couldn't believe it. He said that himself and he got a little bit giddy with it but Immediately, he announces his backroom team, and it is impressive. It's Gary McAllister, who, as well as being very respected figure in the game, former Leeds United manager, had the spell as uh, Aston Villa assistant manager. Great experience for that level. Michael Beale, one of the most respected coaches in, in international football. I mean, he's, he's, he writes books. He's well known. He's a, a highly sought after speaker at coaching events. Tom is called Sean, uh, obviously a couple of other guys, and and the thing that I liked about that Stephen was this is not somebody who was just you know going about his business and got a phone call and thought yeah I actually would like to be a manager. This was somebody who has been planning his step into management. He knows it's going to happen, and he's already assembled his team because with the best will in the world. Michael Beale doesn't come and be a coach at Rangers because, or any SPFL club, by the way, he doesn't arrive to do that because it's the SPFL. He does it because it's Steven Gerrard asking him. Absolutely,
0: I think he he alluded to that as well in, in a meeting that they they had. I think you talk about it that Steven Gerrard spoke to him in, in Melwood at, at Liverpool, and you know he was he was all in because of of Steven Gerrard. But I was a little bit, you know, obviously I knew about Gary Mack. I had to go and research into to who Mick Beale was and, and Tom Culture and things. But we had something, David, that we, we hadn't had in previous years in terms of Mark Warburton brought David Weir because of who David Weir was, his, his kind of relationship with Rangers and things like that. Stephen Gerrard brought a team to succeed because he, he put the right people around him you know right down to fitness guys right down to club doctors you could immediately feel that we were building something and that was different already to anything that we'd had in the last few years so the immediate kind of feeling surrounding it past the press conference the 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 the, the management being announced we had a we had something that we could put faith in we had a, a set up and a, you know there was immediately talk of Working with Mark Allen, getting a scouting network, getting proper, you know, things in place at the training ground and things like that. And it was everything that we wanted to hear, all the buzzwords, all the, all everything that we needed to believe in that we hadn't have. And the great thing is, we you know, we can sit here now three years later and we look back in hindsight and say, well, they actually did do it. But at the time we believed in it. And that's mm. what everybody needed at the time. And to put those building blocks in place, the, the experience of Gary Mack, as you said, and and then Mick coaching-wise, we, we know now exactly what he brings and, and the level of expertise he brings. I don't think we'll realise just how good this management team is until they're not there. But we'll not talk about that, obviously, because we're, we're talking about the positives, David. But, um, yeah. I, I mean... We were we were starting off a journey, and, and very quickly you started to see it all come together. And even even the likes of the, the stuff that happened at Auchinheay and and the labels he took that up straight away, everybody brought it, bought into into immediately, and it, it was exciting. I remember just being buzzing and exciting. I remember that Burry game, you know, one of his his first games at Ibrooks and you know people streaming in, and the excitement surrounding that, and even. Even though the opposition weren't that high, the immediate the immediate changes were exciting for me. As as if to say, this is going to be a, a journey that we're going to enjoy with him in charge.
1: There were forty two thousand there that night, and Friday uh, night, wasn't it? Yep. And Stephen Gerrard has said since he couldn't believe it. You know, he genuinely could not believe it, and he'd heard this story about how Alex Ferguson at one of his his early Man United games sort of looked round at the place and the amount of fans and he went big club this and it, it was almost like he knew about it but he had to see it to sort of believe it and Gerard said for him it was that Berry game of all matches where he's like good lord there's, there's 40,000 people here to see us play you know as you say very and he, he was staggered by it um, and then we go into his first summer now Complete squad rebuild was needed. Um, the the previous squad was was nowhere near good enough for what we needed to be. A lot of players were shipped out uh, and a lot of players came in. If you want a full breakdown of, of who left and who came in, then please go and listen on the Hand Network to our show Through the Windows, um, which covers every arrival and uh, every departure at Rangers since 1990. But... When he arrived, Stephen, I heard this, you heard this, um, and we've communicated it to the, the supporters, so it's not us going, look how ITK we are. This is something that, that we have discussed. That When he was discussing with Mark Allen about his rebuild, the, the key players he'd identified from watching Rangers previously, and he'd been up, of course, at that 3-2 game, but the guys he identified as being important that he felt he would be building around were James Tavernier, And Alfredo Morelos, I don't think that's a huge surprise to anyone to hear that. But the others might be, was Jordan Rossiter, and I think we understand the reasoning behind that. He obviously knew Jordan Rossiter. Josh Windass and Greg Docherty. Um, Fair to say that some of those go on to greatness and some of them, for different reasons, don't go on. But I don't think in summer 2018 that was an unreasonable assessment of what he had at the club
0: no absolutely not i remember thinking in terms of what we had there there was maybe about six or seven he could get a tune from and a dozen that he could have in, in total for a for a squad because you can't change 20 people in in one you can't change a full squad so you have to do it gradually and i think another key thing david and remember you know, I was certainly very vocal, I remember Heart and Handware as well, as trying to tell the support, because we are obviously a very demanding and we want instant success, but trying to tell everybody this is a, a, a long transition in terms of, we're talking five, six, seven windows before he's able to get it right, so we have to be patient, we have to stick with this, because it can't be another situation where in six months' time we're looking for change, so... That was very important as well. This was going to be a gradual fix. And the first the first priority, David, in terms of, you know, identifying people would be guys like that. And the thing about it is as well, if you look at those boys, it's not unreasonable at the time to think that these would have been the guys that you could have built around. Especially I think Josh Josh Windass, And he must now be kicking himself because we know that the manager you know the story goes that he didn't want to play out left. He, he wanted to play up, up front or just behind the front man, and he wasn't prepared to to kind of work with the manager on that, and that's why he left. But I just think he must be looking at it right now. He, I think that the manager, you know, ever coaching staff, they could have improved him and really taken him on. And no disrespect to where he is now, but he's he's now at Wigan, and he's not going to reach these heights again. And we could have given him that platform, and I, I happen to think he was quite a handy player, he, he certainly had a finish, he had the pace, so I've no doubts that if he had allowed it, he could have flourished there, so the ones that did stay and prepared to work with, with Gerard, you know James Tavernier, Alfredo Morelos, Ryan Jack, look at the improvement in them now so it's not unreasonable to, to, to have earmarked them as, as being the one to work with, but everybody knew David, I think everybody knew at that point that defence was, was the big job. We have to get defenders in that can head and, and clear the ball and and defend. So that was that was job one. And you look at the boys that he, he did immediately bring in, they're still more or less the mainstays now.
1: Mm, well on that, you know, Alan McGregor and Scott Arfield arrived two I thought no brainers and I think they've proven to be, you know, just wonderful signings. On free transfers, you absolutely have to I have to snap guys up like that and especially the situation we were in then. The big money really that gets spent, you're absolutely right, is Conor Goldson and Niko Katic in that first window, they're, they're where the investment goes and then later that window Borna Barisic comes in as well um, and that's that's the chunk of the, the spend, a lot of the other stuff is done with loans or bringing in guys that he knew like John Flanagan. One of the interesting things, and this is where when we're speaking about evolution and things and changes. uh, That summer, he brings in, of course, Ovi Ajari and Ryan Kent, players that he knows from Liverpool. So I think all managers do this, um, that they like to bring in guys they know. Even, you know, super experienced managers will go back to an old club and bring in a trusted lieutenant or a, a player that, yeah, I know I can work with him. Uh, he also brought in Joe Wardle, of course, who was a player that he'd, he'd spotted uh, in his time in England. But over the years, then this uh, uh, bringing in players, particularly on loan of academy players from England, has stopped. Now, Rangers will still bring in an academy player, Calvin Bassey for one, but they bring him in permanently. It's not just to bring him in for a year uh, to, to help out. Now, I wonder if this is twofold Stephen and the first part of this is this change is one we've got more money so obviously you can shop at a higher end of the market and there's no doubt that being able to go and bring in guys like you mentioned before but I would also argue Hadji, Cedric Eaton, as your backup players, means that you've got a better quality, so you don't need to go and bring in academy players for England. But I also wonder if there was that realisation that, you know, Ryan Kent was an outstanding success, and that's brilliant, but the others didn't really work out. That at Rangers, it was almost like putting a plaster on, and it, that'll do just now, but eventually we're going to need to fix it properly. That these yeah, guys... Was- yeah, they, they, they can't, you know... It, <laughs> they can't succeed really uh, at Rangers simply because the pressure's too much and they're just not up to it at that age. Um, And the reliance on that was maybe more due to circumstance than any any great long-term plan.
0: I agree with that. I think that at that point as well, we had so much to fix, David, that it couldn't all be done at once, but there was things that we needed to just put in place as, as building blocks in terms of getting to the next stage. So in order to get to Joe Aribo, we had to have Ovi Ejaria. And that's not a a you know a slight on Ovi or a, or a discredit, but I, they're very similar players. But when you look at in terms of Joe Aribo having the mentality and the character to succeed, he had a similar start to Ejaria in terms of we like the way the look of him. We liked his quality, we liked his skill. Very similar players, but Ajaria didn't have the mentality to cope at Rangers, whereas Joe Rebo has. And it took us, you know, getting him then to get Rebo, if that makes sense. Much like we needed, probably one of the signings that Stephen Gerrard needed straight away was was somebody like Yanis Hadji to break the lines and, and be a bit different, but we had to. We had to sort the defence first. We had to then get the midfielder. We had to get a winger. So these were things that were priorities over getting, you know, somebody like Hadji. So we had to, everything had to be built towards where we are now, and obviously we're not in a position where we can go and spend fifty million in the summer. But he had to be shrewd, and I think that's another great thing about Steven Gerrard. In terms of there's not too many deals that we've done that haven't worked for him we've had to be patient with some of them. Um, you know, particularly Borna Barisic. and I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I was an instant fan of him. You know, I wasn't. There was a, you know, particular games where I would have I would have quite happily put him out and you, you know there's then that obvious Liverpool friendly turning point which we have spoke about before. But I think overall the the business that Gerard's done is has been pretty flawless when you look at money spent, there's only really been Eros Gresda that you could you could say hasn't really completely a, worked out. Yeah, it
1: was a, was a total waste of money, yeah.
0: Yeah, and and then even even if you are going to say, argue and say, you know, the likes of Cedric Eaton hasn't performed and, and might move on because he's not getting a lot of football and stuff like that, he still made a massive contribution to what we've done this year, and we're not going to lose money on that investment. So everything that, that, that Stephen has done has been, I think it's been built and that's why the Evolution, you know, a, a title of this show is so good because, like you say, the, the little plasters, the likes of Ejaria, he's still taking us to the next step. He's still been like a bridging gap into where we needed to go because everything can't have been fixed. The same as Ross McCrory was such a an important player at Spells in his first year, but he never was going to be the the permanent fixture, the you know, the ultimate the, the midfielder for C, answer. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He he was a, a, a means to an end at that point. And again, that's not criticism. He just wasn't where we needed to go. So in terms of that early business, it was it all made sense. It, it was all sensible and it really kicked us on. I don't think for one second, you know, Kyle Lafferty arrives later on in that window. Kyle Lafferty, I don't think was was ever Steven Gerrard's kind of player, but at four hundred thousand pound, he was the man that could do the job at that point. So everything, everything we done and we kicked off, you know, we instantly looked better, even even quickly, and that's the thing. We went. If you look back at the team to where we are now, obviously there's a few players in it that are still there, Tav and Jack, Maria and things like that, but. It was a philosophy that we immediately built into the high press, the the, the attacking football, the passing. It was all better than it was before, and obviously the the, the instant European success that that Stephen had in, in qualifying, it gave us belief. Everything, everything transitioned. Everything was in transition to where we wanted to go. Does that make sense? That's what I'm trying mm-hmm. to say. That yeah. We, could, you, we th- could trust it, we could believe in it, because even if it wasn't perfect, even if the results weren't great, and we had some patchy results, especially for six months, we knew that it was going in the right direction, and we were all buying into it, and that was key.
1: Oh, well, we'll come to that next week, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> we'll come to, to that first season, and as you say, some great results and some poor ones. But, uh, yeah, I think you're right when you say that he always struck you as having an overall philosophy, but more importantly, we'd had philosophy managers, a strategy, um, because it's all right having a philosophy and saying, I want us to do this, but what are your outcomes? What's the aim? What's, and, and how are you going to get there? You, you know, a philosophy is a nice thing to have, but you you have to break it down. And similarly, you've got to have short term goals, medium term goals, long term goals, and you can't concentrate too much on one of them at the expense of the others. Otherwise you'll, you'll fall flat. And I think we always got the impression that that was, it, that was in place. I want to talk to you about something because of the playing careers. The, the the guy that he was always compared to and always will was Frank Lampard as a player, and of course both of them began their coaching career at the same time. So there's a a wonderful um, senior deputy there for the for the press. And had you looked at these two, uh, and I'm I'm not this is not an important point, but I'm using it to, to illustrate something about Gerard that I think is really interesting. Had you looked at the two of them as players, Gerard was that swashbuckling, free-form type of player, that inspirational Roy of the Rovers type player. Lampard was much more the star cog in a brilliant machine. Um, he played in a different way. Uh, he played in a team that absolutely, you know, the best teams that... That Lampard played in they had a wonderful effectiveness and they all knew their jobs and they all knew their responsibilities the other way etc had you looked at the two of them then I would have thought as managers the philosophies would have been the other way around whereas Gerrard has right from the start always been clean sheets back floor do your work control of the ball control of the match Lampard's teams at Derby and at Chelsea Never seemed to quite strike that balance. they were capable of some breathtaking football on occasions, but on other occasions they were capable of looking like they they didn't understand you've got to try and keep the other side out of the out of your box and from scoring and it it It's a strange one when you look at Gerard the player that i as a manager, I don't really think he's like that I think he's much more about structure shape discipline. Defensive responsibility. uh, Which is why he loves Ryan Kent. Because Ryan Kent is an astonishingly good player going forward. But my goodness, he will not shirk out of getting back the way and, and helping out and making sure he's covering for his fullback. But I do think it's quite interesting in terms of that philosophy because obviously Gerard played under a number of managers. I would argue that the one who appears to have influenced him the most is Rafael Benitez. Now, he said in his book that he wasn't close to Benitez personally, uh, i.e. as a friendship, but he took a lot from him. And the reason I say this is, and it struck me very early and it continues to, watch a post-match interview with Stephen Gerrard and watch a post-match interview with... Rafael Benitez, the word that comes up a lot between both of them is control. We had good control. I thought we we had control. Play badly, we didn't have enough control, and I find that really, really interesting in terms of a look into his psyche as a manager.
0: Yeah, I like that you've you've said Benitez because he was the one that, while you were discussing this, that that came into my mind. That I think Stephen's taken the most from that. I think that's just because you remember some of the the performances. Like, let's look back when Liverpool were successful under Benitez. the The, the Champions League games against Chelsea, against Mourinho's Chelsea, who were free flowing, dynamic. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the first spell. This is before part of your burst, Mourinho. So this is like Aryan, Robin. You know, um,
1: Duff. Uh, yeah, D- yeah, Damien Duff, Duff and yeah. and
0: Drogba. Yeah, so. This was all out Chelsea. Chelsea at, at the most enjoyable, best times of watching for me. And Rafa Benitez went there and you know got the 0-0 at Stamford Bridge and then got the, the 1-0 at Anfield. And it was a tactical masterclass in terms of how he set up, how disciplined they were, everybody knowing their job, everybody working hard. So I would love that to be the base of where we are. And we can say confidently without trying to say that we are Liverpool Champions League winning side, but we can say confidently that he's taken the ethos from that in, in terms of how he wants the players to work and, and how hard they are. You make the point about Ryan Kent. Ryan Kent played 52 out of 56 games this year. Even when, at times, people were saying he, he wasn't at his best, he's so influential and so hardworking, as you point out, that he's just absolutely necessary for this team as much as possible but on the structure thing and, and on this this kind of goes back to, to what I was saying before about you, you immediately seen I remember that Bury game um the Bury game at home and, and obviously being 6-0 and, and they are you know English League 2 and things like that so you don't want to overly read things but I remember just the immediately how high we were and how Pressing, we were and immediately being impressed by, by watching that. And that obviously transferred into the early European games and, and early kind of league games and things like that. But it was that structure that he's, he's obviously taken, he's obviously, we know now, and you've spoken to him and I've spoken to him a couple of times, that he's, he's a highly intelligent guy and he commands that respect from from everybody. Just when you're in the room, he has an aura of, of, of status. If that can, the same kind of status that Walter had, if Dick yeah, Advocate had. Very similar. That,
1: that, he oh, has, he that. has that he, presence. Yeah, He walks into a room, and okay, he's very famous, but you get, you know, there are just certain people that when they walk into a room, you notice their arrival. And I think he's he's like that. He has that. I don't think you can quantify it or identify specifically what it is. But, you know, when you see it, Walter Walter has it. Um, Soonest has it. Uh, he has it. Dave King has it. You know, it, it's just a presence. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that when that comes to speaking to the
0: players in the dressing room and players wanting to come and play for Steven Gerrard, I think that that will transfer onto us, onto the park also. Because you get a guy like like Ryan Kent, who I think is a perfect perfect one to speak about in terms of... Ryan Kent comes as an attacking winger who traditionally maybe doesn't put in as much effort going backwards, but he has bought into everything. He's bought into the philosophy. He's bought into Rangers. He's bought into the team. And this is a guy that, you know, doesn't need to hate our biggest rivals, but he does because he buys into everything. <laughs> and that, to me, is the effect of of Gerard, the dressing room, the right environment, everything like that from him as transferred onto the team. You can just I'm maybe not coming across as well. I'm trying to explain it, but it, it's difficult to explain, David, because we've seen it right, we you know, we've been supporting Rangers, you know, 30, 40 years, going to games and things like that. And sometimes you can have the best people on on the on the touchline, but it doesn't transfer onto the team. But everything that I see in the team now and even early, they were buying into it. Everyone bought into to Steven Gerrard, everyone bought into what he was trying to do and when you talk about the Lampard kind of situation, you look at Lampard at Chelsea, it didn't seem like people were buying into that at all because Mm -hmm. how many times did we speak to each other after games and say they're just not organised, there doesn't look to be a philosophy whereas Mm -hmm. even when we haven't been good and even when we haven't performed, not this season but if you look at previous years when things didn't go our way, you can always see what we're trying to do. And I think that that has come from Stephen Gerrard being very early on having a lot of trust in guys like Michael Beale, Tom Kilsborough, Gary McAllister doing the doing the training and him overseeing everything. But they've they've at times how many times did we say they've not really went from four three three and things like that? But in reality, they have slightly made tweaks here and there. But they've always kept to their philosophy. They've always kept to what they believed in and eventually knowing that it would bring us to where we are now but that level of of patience and the level of trust in their own self and ability has transferred onto the team as well and that's why we can see you know everything kind of grown to to where it was now because we, although we'll cover it what we've done this season has been phenomenal in terms of being unbeaten and invincible and everything else but it's taken a three-year evolution to get there for these players to grow. And that's down... I mean, how much trust has Gerard put in the likes of Conor Goldson? But they've also put trust in the management as well, which I think goes back to what you're saying, the, you know, your comparisons of, of Lampard and Gerard, because I didn't see Chelsea players trusting Lampard the way our squad does Gerard. So I think that's a perfect kind of analogy of, of both of them, if that's the right word, I'm not sure it is, of both of them together, and how it's worked for one and not the other.
1: Yeah, and and look, it's just one of these storylines, I suppose, that that will always exist just because of the time they both come through. Um, but I, 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 as you said, you know, you and I would, Steve and I, watch a lot of football and we we'll chat during that. And we we were talking, we watched Chelsea earlier this season and just said, "There's no shape, there's no structure," there's, you know. And and it's bizarre to see such high level side. And clearly, it was a managerial thing because once they brought a line, then almost immediately you went, ah, oh, there's a shape. I can see what they're trying to do here. Um, and that was never the case under J. You never looked at it. It didn't work sometimes, and we'll talk about that as we go through the seasons, but you never looked at it and went, I've no idea what they're trying to do here, um, which was different. I'll finish up on this, Stevie, and and you know, this is maybe a gratuitous kick at people we don't like, but we're the champions, we can do that. Um, and I want to talk about the contrast uh, in the 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 press coverage of his arrival between Scotland and England. Now he's a worldwide figure, Steven Gerrard. You know he's he's one of the most famous footballers of this century, right? Um, he's a legendary footballer. So there was always going to be more interest in him than had we appointed, you know, with the best man in the world, Derek McInnes. But I, I, and thanks to Twitter user Paul T, who posted this graphic, um, where he took some quotes from Scotland and England, and I'll just read you and I'll start off with the English quotes about Gerard's appointment. Amazing support, great stadium. I'm sure it will be a positive for him. It's great for Stephen and for Rangers. He walks into the dressing room and he immediately commands total respect. I wish him all the luck in the world. His obsession will take him far. It'll be a great acquisition for anyone. I'm sure he'll be a success. Rangers will be a great opportunity for him. The chance to rebuild one of the biggest clubs in the world. And I'll contrast that with the reaction from Scotland. Pep Guardiola would struggle at Rangers. A baffling move for both parties. A needless punt for such a dysfunctional club. Flawed and reckless appointment by Rangers. Inept risk-taking. Not sure this makes sense for Rangers or Gerrard. That's quite a contrast. And I don't remember from the media much analysis of it other than this is crazy, this is a disaster. Now, we are supporters, and we will obviously try and look to the positive. I think that's that's you know, common sense. And we were excited. But even with dry analysis, I don't recall that reaction being like that when Kishina was appointed. So I don't think it was a case of us just looking at this with blue tinted spectacles that were so full of color we couldn't actually see anything that reaction to me wasn't professional that reaction to me was was almost hoping um and writing your hopes rather than looking at it now stephen gerrard might not have worked there will be times in the next three episodes where we'll point out times where it looked as though it could very much go the other way but the idea that he was going to be a complete and utter colossal flop that he was you know we we spoke about it earlier. The team he'd put in place behind him, I thought, made sure that we'll improve. We might not improve enough. Celtic might be. They should have been so far ahead of us. But I still think that the, the reaction was completely and utterly over the top. Do you know the saddest thing about that, David, is we've become kind
0: of immune to it now in terms of, like, we don't. We obviously speak quite a lot, and there's—I don't think there's any any, you know, point in in saying otherwise. We, we're on the phone. God, I'm I'm bothering you about a hundred times a day with stuff. So we talk about football all the time, but we don't mention the press because we know that it's negative, and we don't now take that any more into consideration. That it was almost like, ah, oh, well, you know, they're at it, but we're not paying any attention to it. But like you say, when you look back on it, I always remember the famous, you know, Daily Record podcast with Keith Jackson and stuff and the comments surrounding Stephen Gerrard being amateur and, you know, give it six months. You've obviously got the very famous Graham Spears quietly terrified quote and things like that. There was never any respect for Stephen Gerrard coming in as being a, a a worldwide football figure who had studied at, at, at Liverpool, you know, at academy stages and, and learnt a bit of his trade and was surrounding himself with with a good management team there was never any balance in that and I would never have had any issue in, in balanced journalism saying you know Steven Gerrard is a risk but let's look at what he's done let's look at the team he's he's got in place it's really exciting to watch and let's see how it turns out I don't think that's unfair I don't think it's unfair if they had went, went through it that way but no, I agree. the excitement the excitement we got in England, I remember it being, you know, BBC ten, you know, Big Ben strikes and one of the, the, the top moments on it was Stephen Gerrard at Rangers. And if you look at the clips now that people do you know of us winning the league and stuff, there's loads of English press coverage in Sky Sports. And even the excitement, David, of Gary Lineker and, and stuff and that and you know, are you going to be a lone ranger and stuff like that? They look genuinely excited. Guys like Ian Wright you know, who, who ex-Celtic don't need to be friends of ours, but spoke so excitedly about the job that he was going to do. And and they were all excited. They were all going to watch. And, you know, England was watching, you know, one of their favourite sons, basically. Whereas up here, it was nothing but negative. It was nothing but, you know, this is going to be a failure. This is going to be a catastrophe. And it's almost like, as as we know, anything to do with Rangers as a club, It has to be negative because that's the way they want it to go. But it was never, ever going to be like that for me. It was never, ever going to be a disaster. Even if it didn't work out, I was still 100% sure that Steven Gerrard would take us on the right direction, you know? So it wasn't like he would leave it in a Pedro Caixinha state. He was always going to take us to where we needed to go, even if he didn't get us over the line. So I was never worried about it being a, a disaster. I was always quite confident, but nobody looked at it, you know, sensibly. And I don't know about you, David, let's let's fire it back at you. I mean, how did you feel reading that? Were you affected or was it just a case of this is what it's like now?
1: Yeah, no, I did exactly that. I agree, it, it bounces off. Um, and again, what Rangers did, which was just note the comments and think, OK, every dog has its day. Uh, we'll see where where this ends up, but but you're right. I just thought it was. I don't understand people who, because of the partisan uh, support, will allow themselves to look stupid in their in their profession. I I would never say something, and I'm fan media. I would never say something as ridiculous as the Spears quote, for example, because I would I wouldn't want to look that stupid. I wouldn't want people to think I know so little about my profession, but that's a level of professional pride that clearly you or I or the listeners might have that, that, isn't, that isn't shared by others. But it is fun to be able to to go back and look at it now. And It's um, funny, well, David, sorry. It's just I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say,
0: see what you just said there, that's so true. In terms of we've both done a lot of things recently um, on telly, radio and things because Rangers have been successful. And I was on Sky just before we played Celtic at Ibrox in the final game and they were talking about, you know, going invincible and stuff like that. And I went on and said that that Celtic were were still a good side, still a dangerous attack, still had good players and was really respectful about it because it would have been folly on my part to go on and and say, you know, they were rubbish and, and they were this and they were that and for it to come back in my face. And that's just me as you like you said you you know a small blog or whatever but i had more respect for that situation than anyone at that time ever showed rangers
1: mm. exactly and it's it's just it's it's not about them it's about you or i or anyone of the listeners listening we, we have too much pride in ourselves to say i'm going to say this stupid thing because it'll annoy other people we don't we don't do that i mean i make comments that are designed to annoy people but at the same time they're not they're not designed to make me look stupid down the line. You know, I, I would never sit and say, oh, Rangers are fantastic. We're going to win the Champions League next year because I'd look stupid when we don't. Um, I we say, say it to each other, like, though. Say it to each other, and I put a tenner on every year. I do. I put a tenner on every year for Rangers <laughs> to win whatever European competition we're going into. So, uh, yeah. But, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't go and make that claim that publicly. Um, it's been a lot of fun, Stephen. Um, next week, we'll have ups and downs. So strap yourself in because we're going to go to season 2018-19, Stephen Gerrard's first in charge. They are high points, folks. They are low points. Uh, they are tricky opponents. Uh, don't know about you, but after that season, Stephen, if I'd never seen Komarnik again, uh, I would have been quite happy. I think we played them 43 times that season uh, before the year was out. But we will dive into tactics. Uh, we will dive into how the signings got on. We'll dive into Stephen Gerrard's, the public manager about some of these interviews and I think that that's an interesting area that's developed in his career and I hope that you've enjoyed this show everyone uh, I look forward to next week Stevie thank you so much for doing this no of course a pleasure to to come on
0: and especially to talk about Stephen and Gerard. one thing we <laughs> didn't one thing we didn't touch on David is you know perhaps how we feel about him now but I don't think it's necessary the guy is just what, can, what more can we say? It's a pleasure to have him
1: as our manager. The only disappointment is the 200 yards. You and me need to stay away from him due to, due to a court order. But apart from that, we love him. Um, maybe a bit too much, and that's why that, that rule is in place. Right, we'll be back next week, folks. Thank you so much. Remember, check out Stevie's work over on Four Lads Had a Dream. And we'll talk to you next week when we'll get right into the guts of season 2018-19. Until then, stay safe take care bye Sport Social Podcast Network Okay, round 2. Name something that's not boring